Outside the Box. Welcome to December's Outside the Box. Christmas is nearly here. Ho, 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 etc. I'm joined, as ever, by Mickey Noonan. Hello, ho, ho, ho. Nice. <laughs> Jen. Jen. And Jen off. Sorry, I should have just Jen. Yeah, that was the two reactions to Christmas there, wasn't it? Ooh, <laughs> and uh. let me do a quick coming soon. Christmas Day, final episode of Ghosts. Oh. It's interesting that it's on Christmas Day because that's an indication of how embedded it now is mm. in sort of the public consciousness. However, every time I've ever interviewed anyone from Ghosts, they've all said to me that they're not really keen on having it on Christmas Day. They quite like the lead up to Christmas, in which it's previously been on 23rd, 24th, because that's the what they described as truly magical time, as opposed to, you know, the time when you're running around pulling your hair out because you're really busy. Yeah. But anyway, there it is. Also in the Christmas lineup, I watched it yesterday because I potentially have an interview with someone in it. Men Up, a one-off, hour and a half drama about mm. the first trial of Viagra. Oh, It's executive produced by RTD, Russell T. Davis, who none of us are a fan on here. But I have to say, it did not resemble a Russell T. Davis thing by any stretch of the imagination. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really charming. It's got all of Wales' finest in there. Alexandra Roach, Stefan Rodri, Iwan Rion, uh, Lisa Palfrey. Yeah, name a famous Welsh person. They're in it. And Irene Barnard. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. It was really charming. And it said a lot of interesting things about men's mental health. Okay, should we start talking about things we've watched? And I thought I might start, both Jen and I have mentioned this already. But today, as we record this, the 14th of December, the final episodes of The Crown are being released. Mm. The second series released in two stages, which is quite common. But, you know, when The Sopranos did it, there was like a year between the two series. There's been like two weeks. It's a long goal wait, yeah. Not quite sure why they've done it this way. So obviously we haven't seen the last episodes, but we have seen the first batch of the last episodes. And yeah, I mean, I'm only going to reiterate what I said in the mail out. Oh, please God, stop. (laughs) It's appalling. I mean, we're covering now an area that Peter Morgan's already covered once in the film, The Queen. So obviously he feels the need to cover it differently. The Queen was an hour and a half long or something. We've had like four hours of this. The sort of build up to the death of Diana. And it's incredible given that we've cantered through the decades. You know, when Olivia Coleman was in it, there was a a point where we jumped forward about seven years. And here we've got four episodes that take place over, I don't know, about a month, I would Mm. say. And I appreciate that the death of Diana was incredibly significant to the royal family and how the royal family behaved and were perceived and all of that stuff. Nonetheless, as someone who was alive at that point, I had a very strong feeling of, what the fuck is this all about when it was happening? And I'm even more, what the fuck is this all about, watching it back? I don't really care about the Mohammed Al-Fayed story at all. He seemed like he was a... I don't know if it's true what they're representing of him, but he seemed like he was a really manipulative guy. And we go from him being the baddie to them expecting us to feel sorry for him. Yeah, it's just tedious. It's just Diana's love story, not love story. You were with us when me and my friend Paul were talking about this the other 
Damick is that, you know, he was saying that the, the, the key to the crown was always how they showed how British society changed mm. and how that was reflected within the royal family. So, like, the you know, how divorce was looked at. They looked at how they looked at, like, the situation with Princess Margaret. So yeah. that's how they dealt with divorce. And apart from the fact that we're a bit media obsessed, and that started in the 90s, I don't still don't think that makes that worth four episodes. Imelda Staunton is barely in it. Why would you get your hands on Imelda Staunton and then give her nothing to do? Good question. I don't understand that at all. And Elizabeth Debicki's Diana is a really good impersonation of Diana, but I don't think it has any other depth. I cannot believe I watched it, and I cannot believe I'm going to watch the last episodes, but here we are. Are you going to watch the last episodes? I kind of feel like I will, because I suppose if you've gone this far, probably a sunk costs fallacy here Mm. of I've invested all this time, so I might as well invest a bit more just in case it gets good at the end. Jen... Tell me what you made of it. It's not even so much that it's terrible, although it is. Like, it's just, it's pure trash at this stage. Like, total trash. Elizabeth Debicki's Diana is camp as fuck. The bit where the ghostly Diana, spoiler alert, (laughs) introduces the ghost of, rather, Diana introduces herself to Prince Charles on his private jet and goes, ta-da! It's just (laughs) like, someone make a gif of it now. Why hasn't anyone made a gif of it yet? It's just bollocks. The ghost of Princess Diana appears. Yeah, because they want to get their money's worth. <laughs> so the Americans they still bring think it's a, a documentary at this stage? Yeah. I just think it's in the worst possible taste. I think it is horrible. It's so recent. And obviously, I'm not in any way attached to the memory of Princess Diana or Dodie Al-Fayed or, or any of the characters involved. But I just think, like... It's just not nice. Like, it's just not a nice thing to do, to put this, like, relationship up there and speculate as to what may or may not have been going on. Like, no one fucking knows. Just just let them be dead. Like, let their kids get on with their life. Like, it's just... I just don't like it. I think it's really crass. I will, however, watch the last four episodes <laughs> <You> of it. <laughs> don't understand what they're doing with the last bit because they're going up to, like... They're not even, like, bothering with, like... Megxit or any of that stuff no. it's like if you're gonna fucking do it this recently at least do the good shit come on I, they're probably worried about people suing them but like prince harry namely do you know when it ends because i know when it ends but that's because a friend of mine's in it and told me she's in the last episode and she told me what the last episode is but she also told me she wasn't supposed to be telling me so i don't know if they've announced what where the ending is yet i thought they had and i thought they'd said they weren't doing any of the good stuff i thought it ended in i'm pulling this number out of like fuck knows where like sort of 2010 2012 ish if it's earlier than that that is missing all the good shit basically mickey i'm gonna stick with netflix because we haven't had a lot of netflix recently so let's let's canter through it you have been watching Lupin. Lupin. <laughs> Lupin. <laughs> Loops. The Loops. Yeah, the third and spoiler right at the end, probably not the final season of George K. and Francois Uzan's twisty Parisian adventure series, Lupin, kicks off with Assan Diop in hiding. Hubert Pellegrini may well be in cuffs with Assan's dad, Babacar's name, finally cleared at the end of the second series. But Assan is, you know, still a wanted gentleman thief. What with all the complicated belief-stretching heists he's been up to. Mm -hmm. How wanted? Only the most wanted man in France. 
which means his Mrs. Claire and his son Raoul are under constant bombardment from the media and the popo. Can I get away with saying popo? (laughs) I've said it. I stand by it. Hassan's a fair bloke, though, right? And he loves his family, so he sets out to make things right by staging his own death. I mean, we've all done it when you don't want to say sorry. But then things get complicated, uh, more complicated. Don't tell me he's not really dead. <laughs> well, he staged his own death. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that, that isn't the spoiler, to be honest with you, Hannah. But it gets more complicated with the arrival of Hassan's errant mum and her immediate kidnap by a bad force from Hassan's past. Cue more twisty, turny, silly, brilliant, dazzling, daft and eyeball-thrilling action. Look, Omar Sy is a born action hero and a joy to watch and root for. He is incredible. And he is ably assisted by a cracking cast on Team Asan and some sharp coppers hot on his tail, although never quite sharp or hot enough. Is it ridiculous to think Sai's Asan disappears simply by putting on a wig? Of course it fucking is. Of course it is. But maybe, maybe it's a comment on how interchangeable people of colour are seen as, as two authorities. That would make it quite serious when actually it is all very, very playful. And there are quite a few, hey, you look a bit like moments where Asan then Mm -hmm. sweet talks himself out of a sticky situation with, with ease, like ridiculous ease. But, you know, in this series, it's not just the viewers who love him. Asan has become a folk hero to the common man and woman for stealing from the 1% and not playing by a broken society's rules. And so, for all its slightly janky moments of, yeah, right, like that had happened, it does remain an utterly charming show. And I had a lovely time. Thank you very much. Yeah, agreed. I haven't watched it, but... Uh, oh, I haven't watched this series, but... Um, yeah, I fully agree. Love Omar Sly. So good. I couldn't, he'd be a great Bond, I think. He'd be a really good Bond. Yeah. I couldn't have a French Bond, though, could you? No. I mean, no. Sadly. I'm going to stick again with Netflix and talk briefly about Squid Game The Challenge. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. No, it's okay. been recommended to me uh, by a really dear friend who I now worry doesn't know me at all. <laughs> okay, so do you know what Squid Game is, Jen? Was it a drama about, like, a scary like dystopian kind of game show thing basically that's it it's south korean let's say hunger game slash battle royale yeah that's the 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 film i was trying to think of that we watched for dunleavy does dystopia battle royale that's where all the kids have to sort of kill each other isn't it yeah the price of losing is death yeah and the price of winning is huge not death it's a satire (laughs) basically about capitalism and the one percent and Mm. Yeah, rather than it be a television series, it's actually just a game that rich people can watch. You know, poor people fighting for to the death for money. It's a satire. So to create an actual game show out of it <laughs> is probably one of the most cynical attempts to have your cake and eat it that I've ever seen. And in this, 456 contestants are competing for 4.56 million dollars which is a not to the death though right no and that's one of the first points is that for some reason they've got these little squibs on the contestants and when they go out the squib explodes like they've been shot and they fall to the ground which is cosplaying it's like laser quest which is deeply unpleasant (laughs) which is really really horrible in that sense 
This is a visit to a film set, essentially, in which people are LARPing desperate people fighting to the death. I just, I find the whole thing utterly tasteless. I watched two episodes just to confirm that it was utterly tasteless. But it's also filled with a lot of my journey stories, some of which are, you know, actually quite moving. But it now makes it that reality TV vibe, you know, that you get in X Factor and that sort of stuff of, yeah, this is my dream. I've always wanted it. And, and of course, it's your dream to have 4.56 million quid. Who's <laughs> fucking dream is there to have 4.56 million quid? There's such a broadcast that it's really difficult to follow anyone or like anyone or... Yeah, I, ju- I find it just really desperately, unpleasantly cynical. And yet, everybody else seems to fucking love it. So what do I know? It doesn't appeal to me. No. But I don't really like reality television apart from Grand Designs. <laughs> is that right? Is that yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Jen, you told me you'd been watching, I've written a list, you'd watched something called Scrublands. Tell me about that. Where did Indeed, you find it? yeah. It's a three-parter, uh, BBC Four, I think it is, billed as an Australian rural noir based on the novel by Chris Hammer, which is basically about um, a local priest who goes postal and shoots and kills five of his parishioners seemingly out of the blue. And then journalist Martin Scarsden is sent in a year on to report on how the fictional town of Riversend is recovering from the tragedy. When he arrives in the drought-stricken one-horse town, he finds there is more to it than meets the eye. So, bear with me on this one. The film It, right? You've all seen the original film It. And it's like, it's terrifying, right? Up until the end. Because a clown killer could be real, right? Someone who dresses up as a clown and goes and kills kids. That feels like something that could feasibly happen. But then in the end, it turns out he's a spider the size of a caravan. And it kind of like loses its potency. This is sort of how I felt about Scrublands. I really liked it to start off with. I thought that the performances were really good. I was intrigued. I wanted to know what happened. I was in. But it got more and more and more complicated as it went along. And the ending for me was a spider the size of a caravan. It was like figuratively (laughs) speaking. It was just daft. And I was just like, no, you've lost me. I don't know what to say about this one, really. Like, I did enjoy it, but it's... I thought the ending was a bit whack. I love that as a description. Yeah, I was having a nice time, but then the ending was a spider as big as a caravan. I'm going to take that forward, Jen. I'm going to use that. Please do. I reference it quite a lot in terms of disappointing endings. It sounds like how some of my relationships have ended, if I'm honest. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's have a break. Mickey. Hello. You and I have both watched some, but not all, of Boat Story. How much of it have you watched, Hannah? Four episodes. So you're a tiny bit ahead of me. I've watched three episodes. Daisy Haggard, Patterson Joseph, Joanna Scanlon. I'm making a heart shape with my hands for all of those people. And your French fella whose name I haven't written He's down. He's called French Harvey from... Cartel. That's what he's called. <laughs> Baptiste, is that what it's called? I don't, I don't watch it. I like him. He's good. But he's... He... I know who you mean, yeah. because it's the French fella who's in everything. Yeah. Yeah. But not I have to say he's brilliant in this. He's amazing in it. He plays the tailor. Checky Cario. Also, Craig Fairbass is in it, Jen. Wow. I know. Yeah, and he's really good. He's excellent. Yeah. He's so good in it. 
However, Jen, you are not going to like it. <laughs> no, Jen, don't watch it. Because <laughs> it is gory yeah. and violent yeah. as all hell. Okay. It's gangster. It's set in this fictional Yorkshire seaside town. And the idea is the juxtaposition of, you know, this extreme violence with this quite sort of parochial setting. And the long and short of it is Daisy Haggard and Patterson Joseph while walking, two, two strangers while walking their dogs, come across a boat that has been wrecked on the on the shore and contains an enormous amount of cocaine. Drugs. They interestingly say it's cocaine immediately when it's still wrapped up. It's like, how the hell do they know that? And they decide, you know, their lives are both a bit of a mess, so they're going to take it and attempt to sell it and make a lot of money and, you know, unleash the dogs of war against them. It is really, really Wes Anderson and really, really bad omens, interestingly, even though it is really violent. It's got that wry voiceover that Bad Omens has. And it's kind of stylistically very Wes Anderson. We've seen a lot of stuff that's stylistically very I wrote about it in the mail out very briefly. And I said it's like as if Wes Anderson had been living in a crack den, though. Because it is so dark. Much darker than Wes Anderson, yeah. Exactly. But stylistically. Totally. And then it's got this really knowing wry voiceover, mm. which I saw someone saying, what's the point of it? It's only explaining... I can't remember, I think it might have been the review in The Guardian that said, what's the point of the voiceover? It's only explaining us to what explaining to us what we already know. And I was like, well, then you've missed it, because the point is it's supposed to be funny. The point and it is funny. Is, is it's, it's beautifully be edited, yeah. 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 There's an argument to say it's style over substance, and I kind of agree with that. But what I will say is, rather than it being style over substance, it's great performances that are perhaps better than this material. With a bunch of unknown actors that I didn't know or like, I don't think I would stick with this, whereas I will yeah. stick with this because I love Daisy Haggard, I love Patson Joseph, I love Joanna Scanlon. It has got some, some ongoing jokes in it that make me laugh. Like, he tries to buy a pasty and he keeps calling it a pastry and they keep saying, no, it's a pasty and he this is the French guy and he can't get his head around it. And then he meets a woman called Pat who runs a bakery which is called patsies and that like completely <laughs> blows his mind there are bits like that that, that really make me giggle because they're so fucking silly in comparison to this yeah this gangster film that's going on around it mm. it's a lot less funny than i thought it was going to be given who's involved so i thought it was going to be a comedy and it isn't it isn't a comedy it does have amusing bits it's also a lot more gory and violent than i thought it was going to be but i'm okay with that And it's a lot darker than I thought. Again, I'm okay with that. What I will say is I can only watch one episode at a time because I find it quite a thick source. You can it's it's a lot of focus. Yeah. The episodes seem longer than they are, but I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism. They just seem to pack a lot in. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I do really like it. I absolutely hear what you're saying and what you said other people have said that it could be style over substance because there is a hell of a lot of emphasis on it being very stylistic in the same way that i guess this does sound like a criticism again it's not that guy ritchie films were very like lock stock the original was a bit like oh there's a lot of style here where's the substance but what i will say is yeah it's chewy i think it gives me stuff to chew on and i think it's great the performances are absolutely superb Every little detail is covered. Haggard and Joseph together at last. Where have they been? They needed to be together sooner than this. I'm really enjoying it. 
Although there are times when I can't look at the screen. So yeah, Jen should definitely not be watching this one. The initial accident that happens to her is just absolutely (sighs) fucking horrible. Oh, it's horrific. Really horrible. Um, I think it's very, very good. It's very different even though it's we've just compared it to lots of things it still feels very different for a bbc tv series yeah now speaking of accusations of style over substance i have watched kim which is again on bbc and again has been called by many people Style I've seen one episode. That's interesting because it keeps recommending it to me when i finished an episode of boat story it's like you might also want to watch this yeah. Jen, you've seen one episode, yes? Yeah. It's yeah. the first episode, yeah. Okay, so it's uh, an RTE, and the second series has already been on in Ireland, so we're quite a way behind. Wow. But I'd imagine maybe we'll get a BBC, uh, maybe we'll get the second series sooner than a year's time. It's set around the Kinsella family, who are a Dublin crime family, who get themselves in bother with another crime family it follows an awful lot of the conventions of what happens in this sort of stuff you know they have a wild younger member who who lets his mouth run and does stupid things erratically you know they have a ziggy sabotka (laughs) (laughs) yeah they have a a ziggy or a christopher and that gets them in in trouble the end is very godfather-esque uh, in fact, it's a direct lift from what happens at the end of The Godfather. It's got a lot of Ireland's finest in it. Aidan Gillen, who's really, really low-key in this, which actually mm. really works. Kieran Hines, Maria Doyle-Kennedy, who is absolutely chewing the scenery. She's amazing. J. Emmett Scanlon, Emmett J. Scanlon. Yeah. Yeah. Used to be on Hollyoaks. It is... I really like him. He was a baddie in Hollyoaks and he was he was brilliant. He was like uh, Brona Woe's, uh, is that how you say it? War? Woe? Don't know how you say it. The Northern Irish lass. He played her brother in it and he was a fantastic baddie in Hollyoaks. And I'm really glad that he's got on to like actually have a good career because he was utterly wasted on Hollyoaks. Isn't everyone... Okay. Oh, Charlie Cox is in it, and you didn't mention I, Charlie Cox. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm oh, getting sorry. there. I got overexcited. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry, I I I interrupted because I got excited. It's written by two guys, one of whom is Kieran Donnelly, who is most famous for the Tudors. So it is a massive improvement on that. I would say his <laughs> career is is certainly moving upwards. And to its credit, the person who rises to the top at the end of this, I suppose this is a spoiler is not a man, but a woman, which Mm. makes it unusual and perhaps worth watching. But for me, just Charlie Cox's wonderfully soulful face is just the reason to keep watching this. He's brilliant. He's brilliant in absolutely everything. He does moody man standing in the background like no one else. And (laughs) yeah, I don't know how, but he managed to conjure depth out of not a lot in this role and makes it feel like he is a man with a real interior life, which is not in the script. If it wasn't Charlie Cox, I don't know how that role would be held together, if I'm totally honest. So yeah, come for Charlie Cox, stay for the not entirely sexist plot, but yeah, or maybe just don't come at all. Oh, Until that last bit, I thought that would have been a very good tagline, but then no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. 
It's just like a lot of other stuff. That is just so such damning praise, isn't it? It's not terrible <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. We watched the first episode and something really horrible happens at the end of the first episode and I was just like, I don't think I want to watch this anymore because as the, the thing was playing out, we were going, where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? And so-and-so was exactly where I feared they would be. And uh, yeah, I was just like, I, d- I don't want to watch this anymore. Thanks. Fair enough. What did you watch instead, Jen? I watched Time. Oh, my God. (laughs) Cheat yourself up there, Jen. A little bit of Jimmy McGovern. Mm. Yeah. It's like a mince pie for the eyes. I don't. I mean, I don't have loads to say about this beyond what we've said already. So we we talked about it in the last episode and said that we're probably none of us going to watch it because we couldn't cope with the misery. But lo and behold... Apparently I could. Um, yeah, it's got an amazing cast. Jodie Whittaker, Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, Siobhan Finneran's back as the chaplain. It's absolutely miserable. It's a really, really tough watch in places. But it is excellent. The performances are incredible. It's marginally less depressing. Like, the ending is marginally less depressing than the first series, but that was really depressing. So, so I, I feel like it ends in as upbeat a way as it can under the circumstances, you know, without being completely unrealistic, given what's gone on. I think what it does really, really well is it shows how a relatively minor misdemeanour can absolutely derail someone's life. Like, you can have a home and kids and a job and whatever, and like a a pretty minor crime lands you in jail and you're fucked. You, You know, you literally lose it all. Or you can, basically. My mum watched it, and that is exactly what she said about it. Yeah. Exactly that. We know that most women in prison are in prison for relatively minor misdemeanours. There is, you know, a sort of broader spectrum of women and offences or whatever, like, shown in this. But the the Jodie Whittaker character really, really does show how, like, a pretty short spell in prison for a pretty minor crime can just fuck you basically so yeah i thought it was really good i I think you know everyone in it was excellent i didn't enjoy is the wrong word but um (laughs) it's a good watch thank you jen because one of us did need to watch it and i just didn't want it to be me so that's fair enough that's fair enough it's it's nowhere near as depressing as the first one i watched about the first half hour and i thought i just i can't it's too miserable i know where this is going Mm. because yeah when my mom said that i then gave her the story of what do you know how many women are in prison for like not paying their the TV, TV license. license. Yeah. And the answer was she wasn't aware of that. So if, if well done, Jimmy McGovern. A lot of people aren't aware of that. Obviously, doing what we do, I suppose, we know more of this these random facts about women. But a lot of people don't know how many women are in prison for pretty minor crimes. I have watched a couple of something else, which is big TV, again on the babe. Vigil is back. I can't remember oh, if either yeah. of you watched Vigil in the Saran first place. Jones? Yeah. It is Saran Jones and Rose Leslie. I watched the first series and I do intend to watch this one, but I have not started it yet. Is she on a submarine again? Or uh... No, she's not. Good. It was released in a batch of three on the iPlayer and then I think it was on the telly Sunday, Monday, Tuesday night. And then the next batch is released on Sunday, the last three. And then it will be... Sunday, Monday, Tuesday again, which is an interesting enough way to do it. I suppose 
I sometimes struggle when I watch things week by week if I'm not really into it to actually remember what's going on, particularly with, with all the other stuff that we have to watch on the telly. So I suppose that's not a bad way of releasing it. I watched two of the episodes that were released on Sunday. This time they are in um, in Scotland slash a fictional thinly disguised Saudi Arabia actually called a place called Wujian, which just doesn't work as a name. It's just silly. It just, every time they say it, I'm like, that doesn't sound like a place. That sounds like a made up place. Wujian. Anyway, some people, Dugray Scott is showing off some new drone action that they've got that are like the drones that you can send into war and then something goes wrong and someone's hijacked one of the drones and it kills loads of people and she's there to investigate. Who has hijacked the drone over in Wujian slash Saudi there is a British officer played by Romola Gary. And Saran Jones has been sent over there. She's still in a relationship with a character played by Rose Leslie, who is now pregnant. Not all of the episodes are written by a man, but all of the episodes I've seen so far are written by a man. And they do strike me as women that are written by a man, I have to say. In fact, Saran Jones could just be a man, her character. And now that Rose Leslie's pregnant, we've had an awful lot of conversations about what it's safe to her to do. And Saran Jones is really worried about her and all of this stuff. And it just feels like that's a conversation that men have or that women have. I don't know. It does feel slightly artificial the way that they interact with each other. Now, obviously, she's a lesbian. She's going over to Saudi. So there's a plot around that, which is interesting and, you know, well done. But that said... She isn't quite as discreet as perhaps she should be in a place like that. So again, it feels like it's a little bit of lip service to a plot by someone who perhaps doesn't have that much experience in that area. I think it's daft as fuck. Again, I don't know what's going on with TV reviewers. Everybody else seems to think it's wonderful. I think it is really, really daft. But that said, you know, it's very much in the style of the bodyguard and yeah. Line of Duty, which although there's a couple of series of Line of Duty that I absolutely fucking love, they were daft as hell as well. And this is, I mean, there's absolutely no point trying to look at the plot because it's just daft. You know, it just wouldn't stand up outside of a TV drama. So escapism, I would say, probably. It's not for me, but I'm pretty sure that there are loads of people out there that would love it. And Saran Jones is great. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Anybody else watched anything else? That we haven't mentioned. Mickey, have you watched a nature programme? I finished the nature programme that I chatted about in the last Outside the Box. And as I mentioned in my mail out last week, the episode Humans did, of course, become much more depressing than the joy that had come before it. But the final episode, episode eight, is called Heroes. And while it has to take into account stuff that has been done by the human race that has put nature in danger and our our lives in, in jeopardy, uh, it does focus on human people, humans, that, that's what they call Mickey, humans doing their damnedest and putting their lives on the line to save nature and to ensure that species continue and stop illegal ivory trading and all sorts of things. And so that was sad that that shit is going on, but also uplifting that there are these people like doing so much to try to make the world a better place and, you know, keep us all going it's great it's david ottenborough it's absolutely great his narration is just 
Well, it's like a cuddle, even when he's telling me nasty things. I'm like, thank you for telling me, David. It's important to know. Can you? Can we see some more monkeys now? And he's like, of course mm-hmm. we can, Mickey. And yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> Excellent. Well, in that case, I'm just going to sit here and wait for the Christmas ghosts to happen. Because I've been quite negative this episode. There's not really been anything that I've loved. Get involved with Lupin. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I should. I mean, it is silly, but it's joyous. Okay. There must be some, some big dramas coming up in January. I'm pretty sure there are. I just can't get into any of my accounts anymore, Jen. (laughs) One more plea. Anyone there work for Authy, A-U-T-H-Y, although if you work for them, presumably you know how to spell it. Please be in touch. Outside the box. 